Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to this podcast, which is an abridged version of the television interview that I did with Freddie Flintoff as part of my In Conversation series that was transmitted on the W Channel. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service. Tonight, I'm in conversation with a true sporting legend and a cricketing icon. His television career has also taken him all over the world. He's won the Australian version of I'm a Celebrity, but he's also drunk the blood of a dead goat in Tanzania. Tonight, I'm in conversation with Freddie Flintoff. First of all, thanks for, thanks for doing the show. Pleasure. Uh, because although we've been mates for a while, this is an odd situation because these, these are going to be all the questions I've always thought of asking you. So I'll start right from the top. Why cricket? Because you are a natural athlete and you're from Preston, which is not a hotbed of English cricketers, is it? Well, no, no I grew up and the two schools I went to were on council estates in Preston. And my father played cricket on a Saturday afternoon. As kids, we were pushed on the boundary in prams. My mum went, my auntie Ennis, my uncle Ted, my nan and grandpa. So I was always around it. And at school, we never played. It was just football. Yeah. And it was strange. Like, you've all seen the story of Billy Elliot. You know, he's never had it as easy. Try being a cricketer <laughs> on a council estate in Preston. It was like I played football, literally, and I didn't get beat up by the other kids for playing cricket. It was a posh sport. All the posh kids played yeah, yeah. at public schools. And I, I played for my club. One night, the under-14s, under-13s were short, and my brother was playing. He's three or four years older. And I was six, and I played. And I made the numbers up. I didn't have any whites or anything. I had a hand-me-down Man United tracksuit from the people across the road. The Smith family had six kids. And I played... Um, fielded, I was just squashing daisies in the outfield. I think I got out first ball, but then played every game after that for the under-13s and managed to have a trial for Lancashire at nine out the blue for the under-11s and got into the team and I suppose my life changed a little bit then. From then I realised I wanted to play cricket. This is all I ever wanted to be. And it was about 15 years old. I played for the reserves at Lancashire. Yeah. I got 55 quid and thought, this is amazing, you get paid to play cricket as well. So after that school and everything was dropped, it was just about being a cricketer. As you know, I've not been a great cricket fan, but everybody knows that Ashes win 2005. Yeah. Everybody knows you as a cricketer. If you were to say, I think, stop anyone in the street and say, name five English cricketers, you'd be amongst them. I think what I did as a cricketer get over, gets over-egged a little bit because some of the other stories. I, I was a decent cricketer. I'm not in the same bracket as a Botham or some of the other guys who played before me. I was all right, and, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, well, you say you're not in the same bracket as Botham, but you broke his record for the most number of sixes. Yeah, it was a bit stronger. But um, but you broke his record. Yeah, I did, but... But you broke his record. Yeah, I... I, I... I know, but I mean, like, I... Because I, whenever I've spoke to you, you've always played it down, so I thought, right, and I'm going to read out no. what you did. Your runs at the end of your career was... 
3,845 in 79 test matches. You got 219 test wickets, 168 wickets in one-day internationals. The most sixes ever scored for England. Yeah. You can't say you were average. You're all, you're one of only seven people that are are commemorated in Lords for both bowling and batting. I was all right. My bowling action was shocking. I had a style of batting which seemed to work. But as a player, when I was confident, I'd walk out there and think I could do anything. I'd walk out and I'd be thinking where I'm going to hit the ball, where, which row in the stands I'm going to hit it. But that was fine. But on the flip side, when I had no confidence, I'd walk out there and I'd just look around I'd just see fielders everywhere. Yeah. So when I was on it, I was good. And when I wasn't, I was here. I never found that middle patch that people talk about. It was up and down, which meant it was never boring. But until that year, the 2005 Ashes, which I think, for me personally, I think for a lot of people, really brought cricket home to because you won the Ashes in England, you weren't meant to win the Ashes, and it was all won on the last day. Only now that I am aware of what it's like walking in front of a crowd can I possibly get it and even an inkling of what it must feel like. It's amazing. And that little, that distance, I would guess, from the pavilion to the crease defines what happens afterwards. It, it, is, it is an amazing feeling. And it's one that I, I miss above all others. Like you sit in the dressing room and you're next into bat and then a wicket goes. So you, <clears> I, you get up, walk down the stairs. I used to walk out the same way every time I batted. I'd put my helmet on halfway out there. So I didn't want to hide behind my helmet. I wanted to look at all the opposition as I'm going out there and give the awe of, I own this ground. But as I'm walking out, at no point internally do I feel I own this ground. But I'm trying to carry it off. <laughs> And you walk out and your name gets read out. You've got the England badge on your chest. And every time you do it, you can feel all your senses. It's like the best feeling ever. You get out in the middle. You're not sure what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get out first. Boy, you don't hit it. Is it for four, six or whatever? You stand there, you take guard, you look up, and there'll be a fast bowler halfway down getting ready to run in. And as he runs in, it's like your world is just looking out in front of you. That's all you're thinking about. Your eyes seem to get sharper. Your senses, you can feel every bone and every muscle in your body just ready. And the nerves part of it, I used to love nerves. I miss yeah. getting nervous. And you can feel your stomach churning as he's running into ball and he gets closer and closer and closer. You're looking in that direction and when it comes out, you've got to react to this ball, which you're not quite sure where it's going to go. And as a feeling, I think once I finished playing cricket, I tried to find it in other areas. And now I've realised I'm never, ever going to experience yeah. that. And for me, wearing the Red Rose of Lancashire representing them or wearing the three lines of England, the only thing I can equate it to is Clark Kent. He goes in a phone box and he comes out as Superman. Every yeah. time I walked out in my England kit, my Lancashire fit kit... You had your underpants on the outside. On the outside, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd walk out there feeling a different person. I felt, a lot of the time, almost a person that I wanted to be. The feelings and the experiences I've had as a lad from Preston, you know? I don't know what I'd be doing if I'd never had the opportunity as a young lad. I'd probably be nicking cars like all the rest of them at school and or probably inside, I don't know. But is that, is that part of this... Andrew Flintoff and Freddie Flintoff. Because the Freddie Flintoff is the public yeah. persona, isn't it? Well, I think that took over a little bit. And part of my thing as a player was I, I, I identified probably when I was about 23, 24. I, I was, like, drinking too much. I was, I was overweight. I was lucky to get in the Lancashire team, never mind the England team. And something needed to change. So I got my head down, started training. But I also wanted that mystery about me where I was different from everybody mm. else. 
So I'd, I'd drink when nobody else would drink. I'd have a cigarette in the dressing room when nobody was smoking. So everybody would look at me and think, he's, he's, how does he do this? I'd train on my own and put loads of hours in, but people wouldn't know. They just thought I'd turn up and do it. But I think this character, Freddie, that everybody wanted, what I thought everybody wanted, took over. And I think that's why I got in trouble quite a few times. Yeah. And I think the two sides of my character are more comfortable now just going home watching a box set with the missus yeah. and taking the kids and not doing very much. You said the missus. You yeah, mean Rachel, Rachel, yeah. What influence has she had on, on your life? Because it seems to me, when I've looked at everything that you've ever said about it, it seems to be like she's your anchor. Yeah, it, it, we met under really bizarre circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was playing a game on a Saturday at Birmingham, I'd, I'd met her. She had her own company, one of her, her clients was a main sponsor, so I've, I managed to get a number, I texted her, she didn't have a clue who I was, um, <laughs> and we had a drink. And I, took, I went to take her out on the Sunday night, so I'll take you out, this game's gonna finish, can I take you for dinner? Um, but on the Sunday morning, my ex-girlfriend had sold a story in the News of the World, um, and the headline was, Flintoff's lovemaking like he's bowling. Hard, fast, and short a length. So I had to play all day with the crowd on my back. They've all read it. All the lads in the dressing room have found it hilarious. I've taken Rachel out for dinner that night. We sit down in the living room or somewhere I had a 50% off card for. <laughs> and I said, have you seen any press today? Like, she goes, oh, it's a lovely piece about you in the Times. Oh, I'll do. And then we'd had a few, so oh, I saw the news of the world. Oh, how we laughed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, that's, how, that's how our relationship started. And then through it, there's all been all sorts. And she's not, I would say she's not been surprised by some of the stuff, but she's been very, very understanding. Yeah. And as a person, she's very, very driven. And when we met, I probably wasn't. And that's rubbed off on me, where, you know, I've learned a lot from her. And I think she's chilled out a bit as a result of me and we've met in the middle a little bit. And without her, let's be honest, I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably yeah. been sacked by Lancashire when I was 24. As a player, you've had the, the ups and downs as, as a person. So having somebody like Rachel with you is, is obviously beneficial and mm. most people would want that. But I was really impressed and surprised when you did a documentary about depression in sport, yeah. you know, the hidden side of sport, which I thought was, I thought you grasped what was a really hard concept for people to understand because no one thinks that a sportsman who's at the top of the world can be depressed. Well, this is the thing about it. We, it was a passion project because, you know, I, I, Steve Harmison, a great friend of mine, we roomed yeah. together. He struggled with depression through his career. We've had more cases. Marcus Triscothic, he struggled. And I, I, I knew personally that there was something wrong with me because... For all the times I was up here, I, I was down here a lot of the time as well. We did the programme and I interviewed people like Ricky Hatton and Graham Dot, the snooker player, and I was listening to these guys speak about their experiences. And then all the time I was identifying with what they were saying. And I was thinking, that, that's exactly what I felt like, this is how I feel. And I never expected to give as much away about myself in it as I actually did. But then I couldn't ask like my mates to talk, mm. and then I was going to keep quiet. And listening to Ricky, who our careers around Manchester were probably at the same time. He was fighting Costa Zoo at the same time as yeah. playing the Ashes. And he was going through all these things, as was I. And the idea of it, if you're watching it, it's like depression isn't a selective illness. It can, it can happen to anyone. You might be the hardest man in Manchester and fight. However, you've still got your demons. And 
people watching it could identify, hopefully, if they were struggling, things... And it's all right, actually. It's fine. People do feel like this. And that's what happened to me through the documentary. And then afterwards, it was, it was almost like a relief. It was... Yeah. Actually, there is something wrong with me. I don't have to keep doing this. And then sought help, as you know, most of these guys did. And then now at 38, probably the past two, three years have been the best I've ever had. You know, I've stopped drinking... There was other things but like... But it was that difficult, though, for you because the Freddy persona was the ashes, drunk on the bus, mm -hmm. drinking in Downing Street, Freddy's a laugh, Freddy's... And even when I started working with your own league of their own, people go, oh, what's Freddy like to go out with? Yeah, I used to have a few. Yeah, but was it, was it that thing where you were living up to a persona that you hadn't really created? Yeah, I, th I think there was a... F a f couple of sides to it there was definitely that but then you look around at what you do and most of it I'd, I'd go and play like golf days and things I don't yeah. really like golf but you'll get a drink so I have a drink to get through it you go to a function you have a drink and before I knew it I was drinking more than I actually wanted to and it wasn't making me feel any better so once I identified that there was a thing with I used to eat a lot when I was younger that's probably another mm -hmm. side effect of it I made myself sick for a period of time to try and lose weight and that became a habit as well so all these things getting back to the depression side were all connected and only when I started to understand myself and how I feel and talk about it which is the first step yeah could I, I I'm not sure if the drink was a problem it was like it resonated far deeper the drink was a result of what I was, how I was feeling. Um, but I think doing that programme and also speaking to other people, you know, that's been, been so good for, for me as a person. This podcast is sponsored by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service, where you can watch the TV shows you love from Dave, Yesterday, Really and Drama, wherever you want, whenever you want. The home of BAFTA-nominated series Taskmaster and the critically acclaimed Red Dwarf, alongside other UK TV Play exclusive, including The White Princess and Most Haunted. UK TV Play offers free access to thousands of hours of comedy, drama, documentaries, and paranormal TV. Wolf. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. 
for free. Your life post-cricket seems to have been something that you couldn't have possibly planned. No, I, I, I've, been, I've been so lucky. I've done some daft things since retiring. You know, I did the jump out of a plane, I've dived off cliffs in Acapulco, I've entered a rodeo and ridden a bull. It doesn't matter. You know, for me, cricket was the one thing that mattered. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what got me nervous and that's what got my juices flowing. Jumping out of a plane, I know I'm going to be all right. I've got a man strapped to me, I've got a parachute. You know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you, you don't know what kind of day he's had. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one with yeah. the cord. What if he's feeling a little bit down? <laughs> and, and also as well, it's carrying on from that theme of, like you rightly say, giving the public what they Want. They weren't that fearless mm. character. And in that situation, I wasn't too bothered. Um, however, now, yeah, I'm a very different person. Yeah. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of time at home with my kids. That's where I get my pleasure now. You know, my kids play cricket, my daughter sings and dances, driving them around, taking them around. It's like the, the grandest gestures. I, I've, I've travelled and I've been to some amazing places. I've been to Taj Mahal and I look at it and I think, oh, it's brilliant, yeah, next. Uh, it's wasting on me. Yeah. But taking my kids to school, I love doing it. It's like I've almost, I've lived life up here and now the biggest things have no impression on me. But sometimes the smallest thing, like my one of my kids coming in the morning, giving you a hug in the morning, is like the best thing ever. Yeah. Seeing my kids play cricket is far better than going to an awards ceremony or doing all these things. You know, it's just them tiny things now which I take the greatest pleasure. The Australian version of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Yeah. Now, talk us through that, Fred. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, was, I was out in Australia and I played a little bit of cricket in the 2020, like the shortened form of the game. Mm. I did some commentary work for Channel 10 out in Australia. And whilst I was there, they were trailing I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. For the first time, it was happening on Australian TV. There's all these people going in, everyone's guessing, and they asked me, and I said, look, I get asked in England, there's no chance, I, I don't want to do it. And then they, asked, they offered a bit more money. <clears throat> and, <ooh. laughs> and, then, and then I got home, and then they, I don't know if, what the show was doing, but they offered me a bit more. And it got to the point, I thought, for a month's work, they'll give me that, I'm going. And I sat in the jungle, and I'll be honest with you, Pish, it, it was the easiest month of my life. Really? <laughs> I sat on a bed doing no and getting paid. It was, I was losing weight, it was like the perfect detox. And there's a point where I, I was on a two week contract. So the first two weeks you can't get voted out, that's your, that's your payment. But after that, you start getting paid a daily rate because there's eviction. So then I started trying. It was like, <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was sat on my bed, on, I think it was a Tuesday or something. I was thinking, you know what? It's Tuesday now. If I stay until Friday, we're going to get a new patio. If I'm in after the weekend, we're going to the reef. Like, so that's how I rationalised it. And we're, we're, who was in there? Who was with you? I don't know. You know? <laughs> I, don't know I still don't know some of them. And I just sat there, I just watched people whinge. And it was like, just whinging about not eating and we're just feeding us, we're, we're fine here. We're actually on a TV programme, we're not gonna die. Yeah, there's never it's a sense. Right. Like when, I, when we watch it at home, I'm thinking, 
You're not in a jungle. Right. You're not going to... The day someone dies Dang. on it, you go, that's a proper telly yeah. now. <laughs> right, you, you get these trials and you, you fill a form in before you go in, like your phobias. And I've got phobias, I don't particularly like the dark. I didn't write that. I said, I don't like frogs, right? <laughs> First trial, the frogs on my head. Oh, not them frogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not a frog. Right? And then, then I, was sat, I, was sat, I was sat in a box with 100 rats. These are television rats, they're like big hamsters. Like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, it's like, it, it was so easy. And the, the amazing thing about it was, after that programme, I started working in Australia. Yeah. This is, I don't know if this is a reflection of where Australia is as a country, but I'm deemed intelligent in Australia. <laughs> I do a current affairs programme. Right? <laughs> I'm sat there commenting on the news and people listen. You know, this had happened in Australia and possibly Grimsby. But yeah. it's like, so I go back there, they'll find me out soon, but I'll, I'll ride it for a bit longer. So you, so you do, like, the Australian version of the one show? Pretty similar, That's yeah, like, panel yeah. four of you. Yeah. I've, I've had the... T on that, we, it's been great. I interviewed Harrison Ford, Samuel yeah. L. Jackson, um, Will Smith. Mm -hmm. I was shocking, that. Uh, why? What was wrong with Will Smith? Well, I went to interview him, and then the girl in before me tried to take a selfie, so the room went into meltdown. And then I walked in, and I thought it was a curtain which you part, but it was a set, so I pushed it over on him. <laughs> so I pushed this set over, and I go, all right, mate, I'll, shall we start? And then I didn't prepare for the interview. I had eight minutes, but I'd run out of questions after five. So I started asking him about her transplants. And oh. I must have struck a chord, because really? he goes, no, man, I've been tested, I can't go bold. I'm going, like, well, calm down, son. <laughs> and then I got kicked out. Um, and then Mark Wahlberg, that didn't go well. What was wrong with Mark Wahlberg? Oh, he was hard working. I, I had four minutes with him. After He was giving me nothing, so after two minutes, have you got anything else, mate, you want to talk about? He goes, no, nah, so I'll go then. <laughs> and you're still on Australian telly. Yeah, I like it. It's different yeah. out there, bitch. I mean, the thing is... You're, when I was in Australia recently, you're loved by the Aussies. Uh, I was up in Queensland, we were in the middle of nowhere, got to this fellow about cricket, I said, look, you know, because I think the, the Ashes were on at the time, it was a tour on. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm not into cricket, I know a little bit about it. He said, but you're from the north of England. I said, yeah, he said, Freddie Flintoff. I said, yeah, he said, he said, do you know him? I said, well, I do. He obviously thought the north of England, we all know each other. I said, I, said, I do, he said, you know, he said, tell him we've... We fucking love him, Harry. He was a cockney. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say I've been to Queensland base, you know. He was a pirate. He closed her eye as well. He was a pirate. But he said, he said, why Australians loved you? He said, because you play cricket like an Australian. But that's a strange thing. I had my best series against Australia. So they remember that. They don't remember all the rubbish because they didn't watch that. But you, you go out there and... But, but also as a person, you know, because Australia hasn't got this this class structure that, you know, if you're working class and mm. from the north, you come across and so on. You kind of fit Australia in many respects. Well, it's, it, I think in Australia, they like people who have a go. Yeah. And they'll back someone who has a go. And if they fail, it's not ideal, but they'll still back them. I think that's what I've done in the past, and so they backed it. But the strange thing is, if they like you... They say, oh, he's one of us. I'm not from Preston. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got a bit of Aussie in him. I, I definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, not even after the jungle. <laughs> no, well, yeah. But, yeah, the, 
I, I love it. It's become, I wouldn't say a second home, but it's somewhere I spend more time. I, I was in Melbourne from November to the end of January, came home for a week and then went back out to do a series for Sky. You know, they want me to go back out next winter. And it's flattering and I, re I really enjoy it. Um, and the people I've taken me in, I've had opportunities out there which you know, I might not necessarily get over here. So, yeah, yeah I, it's... It's different to how I ever thought. But when you said you will get opportunities over there... I wouldn't be doing news show, would I? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, because you are you are universally respected. I mean, you've got an MBA of the Queen. Yeah, you give them away. <laughs> I haven't got one. <laughs> Put your hand away if you've got an MBA. There's not many get them. But the, the strange thing about that was, it was like getting back to the fact that I'm so proud I got it, and yeah. don't get me wrong, but... Winning the Ashes was enough. That is amazing. And when we went to the Palace, we were queuing up for our MBEs. You get in this queue. And there's 15 or 12 of us played cricket. And then in front of you is people who've served the country, done great work in communities. And you're looking at them going up and you think, we've well, just yeah. done our hobby, haven't we, really? Yeah, you've and just done what you really want to see. Yeah, do, I saw it. It was, it was lovely yeah, to I, get. I understand. But almost felt a bit. Um, bit of a shouting at the same time, but I give it my Auntie Joan. Really, why? Well, she's my godmother. Um, I've got it back now, so sadly she passed away, but towards the end she was losing her, her marbles a little bit and we went round and she was sat in a chair wearing it. Right? She's, oh, she's got the MBE on. I says, oh, what have you got there, Auntie Joan? She says, oh, it's, it's my MBE. <laughs> so that's nice, isn't it? She goes, have you got one? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think things like that are nice for the family. But your new life now, this new media career, is taking you to a whole new audience. But again, you seem to be doing it a little bit on your terms. You've done a series where you're driving around in a chip van. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's amazing, like, TV, I've found. I come up with a random idea and think, where would I like to go and what would I like to do? And then you pitch it and someone says, yeah, they're like daft, aren't they? Like, <laughs> Cheers, thanks. So I've done two series of that. I've just done the third series in a barbecue van around Australia filming. Um, I've had the chance to travel Tanzania, Botswana, Canada, spent time in India, South America, America. Is there anything that come even remotely close to re replacing the emotion of the game? No. Um, different emotions. I boxed. You, you was at the fight. And for me, that was addressing quite a few things in my life, you know, from yeah. school, getting knocked around a little bit and not fighting back because I was scared of various things and losing weight and getting my body into shape and then having a fight at the end. I, my, my plan with the boxing, rightly or wrongly, was I thought I'd do this and then I can be a sportsman one last time. I go in the ring and I just leave everything in the ring. I don't in a professional bout yeah. as well. I don't care if I win or lose. It wasn't about winning or losing a fight. It was, I'm just going to leave that. It's one last chance. I'm going to go in front of a crowd and I can walk away and then never, never think about it again. But it just made it worse. And what, what, How do you mean made it worse? Because after the fight, although I had shoulder surgery the day after, I then started thinking, well, if I can box, I can play cricket again. <laughs> and yeah. it, was, it had that horrible effect and it messed with my head for a little bit afterwards. And it was, it was bizarre. I like being in positions where I'm outside my comfort zone, I love that. As a cricketer, every day I was outside my comfort zone and I got used to living in that, that sort of area. And some of the stuff now is being outside of it. I like entering a situation that I'm not sure if I'm going to do, if I can do. Yeah. And that's what really gives me a, a buzz. 
You, you, you mentioned that going into the boxing was to try and rid you of some demons, mm. you know, because obviously as I've got to know you, you're a gentle, kind man who doesn't like hitting people, which is yeah. probably why you didn't hit him in the ring. <laughs> 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 no, but <laughs> but it did. It struck me like like when you said you were doing it. I went down, watched your training with it with Jamie, and I thought this is more than the sport. This I like testing myself. The boxing was never about the opponent; it was about me. Yeah, and that's how I played my cricket career towards the end. How much pain can I take? And quite bizarrely. I enjoyed getting punched more than I enjoyed uh, punching people. I noticed. <laughs> no, but it was how much can I take? Yeah. I wanted to find out how much I can take. And I realised pretty soon into it that I wasn't cut out for this because, you know, I, I, I was driving to the east end of London to go and spar, just knowing I'm going to get beat up. And you're driving across London, the slowest you've ever driven in your life, because <laughs> you're getting out and my sparring partner's six foot ten, he's just going to beat me up. And about three days before the fight, the cameraman, Mungo, he's one of my best mates now. We've worked together on all my projects and he's, he knows me inside out. He stayed with us, lived with us more or less during that period. He said, you all right with us? I said, not really. And he says, what you got to do here? He said, just play a boxer. Just act like a boxer. Just pretend you're a boxer. I said, well, I'm meant to be a boxer. He says, no, but I can see, just pretend and just play up to it. And I realised all the way through my cricket career, I pretended to be a cricket. I'd played yeah. up to that. So it was just shifting into that. And when I walked out and the crowd were going, I had a Lancashire shirt on, they were playing Oasis. I, I, I loved it. And I got in the ring and the first round went all right, and then I just got completely carried away with the emotion, with the crowd, and just started windmilling. I got knocked over, and the commentator, which I've never heard in a boxing match, said he was facing the wrong way when he got punched. <laughs> uh, I remember I was, I, was, I, was on, I was on the floor, and I didn't feel the punch. I thought I'd slipped. I genuinely thought I'd slipped. I've seen it back. I was punched. It was a little left hook. But I, I remember thinking, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> and I was looking around the ring and you and all my mates and everyone were around the ring and thinking, you're going to have to get up here. <laughs> You'll never hear the end of it. Well, I remember, I remember being invited into the dressing room before you went into the ring. And I went in and Barry McGuigan invited in and Shane was there. He said, go and have a few words with him. And I still thought you're doing it for a bit of a laugh. So I've walked in and I said, there's loads of people out there. It'd be so embarrassing to get carried out. <laughs> and everyone just looked at me and I'm, sorry, buddy. <laughs> come on, come on, champ. Come on, champ. But, uh, but, 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 what, but for me, knowing you, knowing you a bit, I wouldn't say that I know you a lot because uh, we've met through work and, and we, we see each other when we can. And, and, I, and, and I genuinely like what I've seen in the last few years because to me... That was the point where you did left the laddish Freddie behind. Yeah. You kind of became this more intelligent, openly more intelligent, easier person who seems to have less on his back. I, I think so. I, I don't think it was instantly. Yeah. I think there was a period after the boxing where I had a foot in like both camps. Yeah, part of me was still the lad, part of me wanted to be different. And it was over that period of time when I probably progressed into being more of an adult. Yeah, and, growing up, isn't it? Yeah, and, and not carrying around a lot of angst and like being angry for things that are completely out of my control. Yeah. And whether it be retiring, whether it be injuries, whether it be someone's ripped me off or whatever it may be, I'm, I'm pretty chilled. Because I, I look around and I'm so lucky, you know? It's like I, I work, which is fine, but then I look at my kids and my missus and my family, and that, that is probably the one thing 
I, I, as a person, I think one of the things which was good, I suppose, as a cricket and as a sportsman, and even what I do now, whatever I do will never be good enough. You know, I will never be satisfied yeah. professionally. It would be, I could do play and get 100, but I remember getting out, or I remember missing a few. You know, I, I always remember the, I could tell you every dismissal I've got out since I was 16, but I can't tell you my best scores or things like yeah. that. I remember the disappointments. So I'm never satisfied. If I do a TV show, I'm never happy with it. I should have done this or I could have done that. However, I look at my family and that's the one thing where I see it. That's the one thing I've got, got absolutely bang on. I'm so lucky, I'm so happy. And that's the one thing that I suppose drives me and makes me, yeah. makes me content now. That's a lovely thing to say. Every interview we do, we ask him to pick one picture. And most people do it in advance, whereas you were going through your phone before, yeah. <laughs> looking through pictures. And I, and I, and because you were saying like, you know, what, what kind of picture? And I, and I said, pick the picture that you would miss if someone nicked the phone. And it was this picture. It was a couple of years ago. It was Father's Day, and we went out for a curry in Nutsford. Nice curry house. Yeah. And we sat there. and We had that photograph taken. And, and to be fair, that's my world, isn't it? The, the four of them. So. Yeah, that's the picture I'd miss. The missus and the three kids. And the person you are now, Andrew Flintoff. Is Andrew Flintoff a better person for them to live with than Freddie Flintoff? Oh, massively, yeah. Massively. I, I, think, I think I'm a better person now for a whole host of reasons. One, they make you better. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I think I'm a better person now. I'm not a professional sportsman. I think as a professional... That, that's a big statement. I think as a professional sportsman, there is an element of selfishness. Not yeah. on the field, but because... I remember you was playing and everything is taken off you through various people so you can concentrate on playing cricket. So things could be happening at home or things going on around us, but I'd never find out. It's all about playing cricket. Yeah. You get wrapped up in this one thing which at the time you think is the most important thing ever. And essentially you're throwing a ball where it's in it. It isn't. And now I don't have to do that. I think, yeah, I, I don't have that competitive edge. I don't have to win all the time. I'm far more relaxed now I don't play sport, which I think is a knock-on effect to bringing up the kids and being a better husband. Because I've been a shocker at times, I don't know, let's be honest. Yeah, but you know, it's a lifetime, isn't it? Yeah. And the rest of it looks good. Yeah. I think we'll all agree. Andrew, this has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.